It's your Monday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back at it for another week. I'm glad to have you guys back as well. A little bit of a different show today. Patrick Royce off today, and I've got a whole bunch of listener questions that have been stacking up, so I'm going to get through those today as well. Just looking at the rundown of everything on my list, got a lot of stuff here. Got the Wild, got Gophers hockey coverage, got a cord-cutting question, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Mike Conley stuff to get to, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Emmanuel Reynoso, so uh, so many things that you guys have been asking about, commenting on in the last just four or five days that a lot of these have come in, so <clears throat> wanted to run through those today um, while we have the opportunity, while, we're, while, while Patrick's out giving him a couple weeks off, I think he'll be back, I believe, on the 27th. But uh, yeah, so so we're gonna get to all that, uh, all that first. What did I miss first, though? Um, it was a big game on uh, on Sunday. You might have noticed that the Super Bowl. I've got three big Super Bowl thoughts that we're gonna run through right now. First and foremost, <clears throat> the penalty at the end of the game. Everybody's focused on the holding call with about two minutes left. They extended the Chiefs' drive. Gave them an opportunity to work the clock down, kick a field goal, essentially ice the game. I know the Eagles had one more a desperation pass attempt at the end, but that was uh, pretty much over by that point. And by the way, that Hail Mary was very sad from Jalen Hurts. Wonder if that was an example of his shoulder not being a hundred percent. But that was not a great, not a great Hail Mary. I tweeted that it reminded me of Christian Ponder, which is not a favorable Hail Mary comparison to make, if anybody remembers the Ponder Fail Mary of a decade or so ago. But uh, the the call itself was the subject of great controversy, right? You know, it's a judgment call in the moment. You had uh, had Juju Smith-Schuster try to kind of do a a route where he breaks in and comes back out again. Good route. You know, it's, it's a third and long Deep, deep in Philadelphia territory, <clears throat> but the consequences are huge, right? If he, if it's a no call, if there's no penalty there, Kansas City has to try a field goal with a little over two minutes left to take the lead, and then Philadelphia's got plenty of chance to respond, either to tie or to perhaps win in regulation. Instead, like I said, Kansas City gets the ball with that fresh set of downs and uh, and when works the clock down. Um, and is able to just win the game like that. And they, they, did, they did a good job of that at the end with uh, Jarek McKinnon uh, not going into the end zone, things like that. So the big, the big thing with that play is this. Um, you know, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is nobody wants to see a game decided like that, right? I think that was the biggest kind of reaction that people had to it in the moment. Aside from Eagles fans being disappointed, outraged, however they want to call it, um, Chiefs fans being you know, glad that the penalty was called because it gave their team a much better chance to win. If you were just a neutral observer of the game, nobody wants to see a game decided by a penalty, but penalties are part of the game. People say, you know, don't let the, you know, don't let uh, uh, the, you know, the officials decide the game, let, let the players decide the game. Well, player was the one who held, and he even said after the game, James Bradbury said, uh, yeah, I held him. I was, he said I was hoping he would let it go, talking about the official, but of course he's a ref. It was a big game. It was a hold, so they called it. So there's that. He admitted that it was a holding penalty. He admitted that that was a call that, that could be made at the very least. Juju Smith-Schuster said the same thing. Um, you know, Officials called it a clear case of jersey grab that caused restriction. If you watch the replay, you could see a jersey grab. It looked worse <clears throat> in real time to me than it did in... The replay, when it first happened in real time, I was like, oh my God, that's, that's definitely a penalty. 
on the replay, it didn't look as bad. And then the pass was way off the mark, which again lent itself to looking maybe worse than it was. But by the by the letter of the law, that was a very easy decision to to see how it was made. Now, the big problem is this, right? Nobody wants to see a judgment call like that have such a big outcome in a game, even if it is a penalty that can and deserves to be called um, in large part. That said, this this is a part of football, right? This is a part of any sport where there are going to be judgment calls. That you you can't legislate when those happen. You can't legislate, you know, when something is let go, when something is not let go. I know we want to say let them play in the final moments of a game. I think that's true to an extent, but every game is filled with hundreds of these little judgment calls. And they get magnified at the end. Um, I, I guess the the thing I'm trying to say here is that. You know, we can't decide when and when a penalty is called, when it's not called, and we have to realize that every sport, every game has these moments. Baseball has the the fractions of balls and strikes that determine games all along the way. The NHL, NFL, NBA, they all have penalties, other infractions that can be called or not called at any moment. And sometimes they aren't called, sometimes they're missed, sometimes it's deemed to be not as not worthy of calling, things like that. These happen in split-second situations. We can't just say, well, we, well that, that, that can't decide a game. It's part of the game. And so that part of it, while disappointing, nobody wants that to be part of the outcome. That's a big part of the NFL these days. It's just how, it's just how it goes. We, we, can't, we can't not have that be a part of the game. Now, number two, the downside of that is that it does detract a little bit from the discussion that we should be having first and foremost, which is Pat, Patrick Mahomes and his obvious brilliance. I mean, we talked about this many times throughout the course of the last few years, but my goodness, a guy playing on a gimpy ankle, double-digit halftime deficit, comes out and basically leads four scoring drives in the second half to bring Kansas City all the way back for the win, uh, makes a ton of plays with his arm, with his feet, whatever it is. He's now got two Super Bowl wins, Still really young, still you know at the top, you know going to be at the top of his game. I would imagine for a very long time. And you know the comparisons already to, you know, can he be the next Tom Brady? Can he win that many Super Bowls, seven Super Bowls? I don't know. That's that's a tall task, especially for you know this era where there's there's even more I think parity now than ever. But he did show what the difference sometimes is between that next level quarterback, that elite, elite, elite quarterback. And the rest of the NFL. Jalen Hurts had a great game for the Eagles. He had a big mistake with the fumble and the return for a touchdown. But he was very good in this game. Brought the Eagles down for the game-tying score with about five minutes left after the, after Kansas City had taken the lead. Made plays with his arm, made plays with his feet. But he is not the caliber of quarterback as Patrick Mahomes. That is a guy who you go into any game, that is going to give you a chance to win a game, a championship, whatever it is. So he was again dominant, showed why he is the best in the business, and I wish that was the more dominant storyline instead of a co-starring storyline with, uh, you know, with the with the rest of the uh, the end of how that game went with the refereeing. Third thing, we got to tie this back into the Vikings. <clears throat> how do you feel about the Vikings having watched the Super Bowl? Maybe you didn't watch the playoffs quite as closely. Maybe you don't watch the rest of the NFL. But everybody, almost everybody, at least who is a football fan of any kind, sits down and watches the Super Bowl. You just have to, right? You, you want to watch whether it's just the spectacle, whether it's you know it's the last game of the year, it's the two, hopefully two of the best teams, which these certainly were. You want to see the final game of the year. You want to be part of that experience. 
seems like the Vikings are pretty far away from being able to compete on a stage with either of these teams. And a lot of it goes back to something I wrote about a few days ago, which is Kirk Cousins. Now, it's not, I don't want people to mistake this for a harsh criticism of Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is an above average quarterback who helped the Vikings to a 13 and 4 season, who's helped them to the playoffs before this, who gives them a chance to at least be competitive every year. But he is in that class of quarterback where because of the amount of money he makes relative to what he gives you on the field, which is not elite, it's above average, that makes it very hard to construct a team that can win the Super Bowl because you don't have the roster flexibility, you don't have the payroll flexibility to add the pieces around him that he needs to be very successful. It's just a simple matter of math. If this was an uncapped sport where it didn't matter how much people made, Kirk Cousins could be your quarterback as long as ownership would say, yeah, we'll spend, spend, spend uh, as much as you need to get all the pieces around him. But Kirk Cousins' salary not because of Kirk Cousins, but because of where he is and the decisions that have made along the way. Kirk Cousins' salary makes it so that the Vikings have a hard time building the championship-caliber defense that the Eagles have. The Eagles have so much depth on the defensive line in particular because Jalen Hurts had a cap number of like $1 million this year. He's on that rookie deal. Patrick Mahomes, on the flip side, is now one of the most expensive players in the league, as he should be, but he is worth every penny because he is a Super Bowl caliber elite best of the best on a hall of fame trajectory no doubt quarterback right now you have to have or at least it is the path that is most likely to a super bowl to have one of those two things either a quarterback who is way above everybody else like a top five top three quarterback in the league or someone on their rookie contract who is who is inexpensive enough to you know to, to let you build a roster around them and that's just what the Vikings don't have right now Kirk Cousins is right in the middle a lot of teams are in that same zone and if you want to be able to win eight to ten games every year that kind of quarterback is fine but if you want to try to win a championship that is not the kind of quarterback you can have it's just isn't it doesn't work out for the math so if you look at that and it's not all Kirk Cousins they got to rebuild the defense of course some of that is based on Cousins some of that's just based on bad drafting not all of this is on Cousins. Maybe not even most of this is on Cousins because I think he had a special year in certain metrics this season, even if statistically it wasn't as good as other years. What I am saying is if you want to build a championship-caliber team, which I wrote about the other day and a couple other people wrote to me about, so kind of getting into the uh, reader-listener email portion of things, um, if you want to be able to build a championship-caliber team, um, you've got to make some hard decisions on Kirk Cousins pretty soon. And my, my thought is this. My, my thought is basically that you, you need to move on from him either after this season or after next season, that Kirk Cousins cannot be your quarterback for more than the next two seasons. And that, that kind of gives you time to draft, develop, get somebody else in here who maybe is, a, you know, maybe is someone who can be kind of that, that next Jalen Hurts you know, it's risky. I know, I know how risky that is because for every every time you draft a quarterback, there's you know three or four times it doesn't work versus the time it does, if 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 even that much. But I think the Vikings have got to be honest with themselves and where they're going in terms of what might be a championship caliber team versus what is 
a good enough roster to continue to compete for, you know, they won the division this year, but that that was an outlier. You're not going to win the. You're not going to go 11 and 0 in one score games every year. <clears throat> You've got to get honest about what it takes to win a championship. And Kirk Cousins, I don't think that's the route you're going to take. So, I'm not saying blow it all up right now. What I am saying is that sometime either this year or next year, you need to identify that quarterback of the future, and you need to have a succession plan in place sooner rather than later. This can't be a, a This can't be a case where Kirk Cousins is still your quarterback three or four years down the line because you're just going to be keep doing the same thing you're doing right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, if you don't believe me, let's believe the Super Bowl odds for next year that just came out right after the game. Vikings way down at 50-1. to 1. You got Kansas City at 5.5-1, uh, to 1, the 49ers at 6-1. to 1. Buffalo six and a half to one, Eagles eight to one, Bengals nine to one, and then you know kind of a whole bunch of teams in the squishy middle. But the Vikings do not show up until one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, tied for nineteenth at fifty to one. That is where the Vikings show up. Definitely, you know, bottom half. Uh, if if you're talking about all the teams in terms of how the betting odds are looking at them right now. That is not how a three, a thirteen and four team is typically looked at, and I think that's an that's a an homage to a certain degree of where they are truly at with with this team and with the, and with this franchise, and really a look at how they really do need to take an honest assessment of this roster to really decide what you know what they really need to do with this team, what the path is going forward, and things like that. So I don't know. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is a bad quarterback. I'm just saying, how do you make this team better going forward? How do you become a team that can finally compete for a Super Bowl, not just hope to make the playoffs every year? Let's run a few more uh, few, few more emails and tweets from Arden. says, if Brock Purdy becomes starting quarterback for the 49ers, why not trade for Trey Lance? He may have potential, and he is local. Yeah, I think that's kind of a an in vogue take right now i just wonder a if brock purdy really is the 49ers quarterback of the future or if he just won on a nice little run b uh, brock purdy got hurt pretty bad it's going to be a long rehab for him c trey lance is that true kind of potential dual threat quarterback the 49ers moved up used a lot of draft capital to get him a couple of years ago i still think that is their their better chance to be a contender long term and I think both those guys will come to camp with a chance to win the job assuming they are both healthy uh, but that makes it so that you can't really trade for one of them at least not right away now I would be intrigued <clears throat> if Purdy wins the job and it looks like Trey Lance is going to be on the sidelines and they decide you know what it is time to trade him if he's just going to sit this year because eventually he's going to be done with that rookie contract I'd get interested in that because I think that is someone you could take a chance on and see if you know if he can finally play some football, stay on the field, and you know get get integrated into the NFL, I think that would be a a good and interesting move. But that's not something you're going to be able to do anytime soon. That would be a late in camp kind of move. So that's not a plan you can make 
for the start of the season. Speaking of quarterbacks, had a lot of people um, commenting on the piece I wrote last week about Aaron Rodgers, about how you know he's he's going into the darkness. It's going to be the darkness retreat pretty soon. Remember, it was going to be right after the Super Bowl, so I wonder if it's dark already uh, for Aaron Rodgers. But I had I had a few people saying you, I hit it squarely on the head when I talked it. I talked about Rodgers and how. You know, he wants the attention. It, it, truly interesting people don't need to call attention to themselves, uh, things like that. I'll read the one from Ronald Jensen. Said, just read your article on Aaron Rodgers craving attention. You hit the nail right on the head. Looks like this offseason will be just like the last year with Rodgers saying he'll stay or go, quite frankly. And a lot of us don't give a bleep. One of many Wisconsin residents who are sick of Aaron Rodgers. Now, it was funny because in tandem with that, like within 30 minutes of that, I got a different email from, I believe, from Don. It said, Hi, Michael Rand. I've listened to your podcast for the past year. While I usually enjoy them, I have to comment that I believe you are obsessed with Aaron Rodgers. It seems like every time Rodgers makes any time of statement, you comment on it the next day. Football fans in the Twin Cities do not have Aaron Rodgers on their minds every day. I don't know why he's such a big deal to you, but your podcast will be better served by ignoring Rodgers' trivial statements each week and staying with topics that are more of interest in Minnesota sports. So, Whoops, Don. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers again in the context of you talking about me talking too much about Aaron Rodgers. So we are through the looking glass. We're chasing our own tail at this point. But I think he's interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, because I th- I'm trying to judge his character. I'm trying to figure out what he's really after. And I think I've got a little bit of an insight into him after watching him for a while. B, he's still a great quarterback. I don't care what anybody says after what happened in 2022. He did not have his best season. He's only a year removed from being a back-to-back MVP. What he does, what he ultimately does, has an outsized impact on the rest of the division, and specifically the Vikings. Now, this past year for the Vikings was kind of the best of both worlds, right? It was I, I didn't think there was any way that when Rodgers stayed, the Vikings would be able to win that division, let alone win it by so many games this year. I mean, they almost had that thing wrapped up by the halfway point of the season. So what they got was another year of Rodgers getting older, another year where the Packers didn't find out anything really about Jordan Love, and they still managed to win the division. Now, I don't think that is repeatable. I think if Rodgers stays in Green Bay, Green Bay suddenly becomes a a division favorite again, you know, with the Lions and the Vikings in that conversation. But I think Green Bay is still a much better team if Aaron Rodgers is on the roster. You're talking about a future Hall of Famer, someone who played through injuries this season and could have a bounce-back year in 2023. Now, I think a more likely scenario is that he does finally get traded to a truer contender, maybe someone like the Jets, maybe someone like the Raiders, who are probably going to release Derek Carr pretty soon here. Um, But I think he's interesting in the regard of what he does, does have a lot of impact on the Vikings, and because it's something that we kind of saw with Brett Favre so many years ago and how that played out, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and how he, you know, how he eventually wore out his welcome in Green Bay, wound up with the Jets like Rodgers could. Not saying that Rodgers is going to be on the Vikings a year after the Jets, but wow, wouldn't that be something? Anyway, I feel like he is he he has a certain sway. He is one of the all-time greats, and what he does does have an impact on what happens here. Maybe I'm a little bit too focused on Aaron Rodgers. I get it. This is not a, a Green Bay. This is not a Packers market, but I thought it was interesting that there was such a split on how much I talk about Aaron Rodgers. Some people saying, wow, Really liked what you wrote. Some people saying you are officially obsessed with Aaron Rodgers. And you know what? Maybe there's a little bit of both to it, uh, if we're being honest. 
Let's run through a bunch more here towards the end of the show. Um, we had a nice, had a good tweet from uh, from from somebody asking. Um, I think it was uh, uh, yeah, Buck Nasty saying, "Can you explain why the Star Tribune refuses to cover the Gopher men's and women's hockey teams? The men are first, and the women are third in the country. Yet you give wall-to-wall coverage of the basketball teams, who are horrific." Um, a little bit of hyperbole in there. We definitely do cover. The hockey teams. Randy Johnson does a very good job covering those teams. But to to your point, um, I think I could talk about those teams more than I do right now. Gophers men's team missed a chance to clinch the Big Ten over the weekend, split with Wisconsin, but they are having a very good season. Obviously, like you said, number one in the country. They've been kind of fluctuating in that spot. More than just that, seems like the enthusiasm for Gopher hockey is back. Um, Mariucci has been much more robust with fans this year. People are kind of taking notice of this team. It is a fun team to watch. So, yes, there is some element of that where maybe over the years, with the men's team at least, we lost a little bit of that kind of focus on them, lost a little bit of that interest because <clears throat> they did have so many down years. They, you know, and down years is relative, but there was that time where they kind of drifted out of the consciousness where attendance was going down, where they weren't as successful as in the past. Now, last year they were very good. They went to the Frozen Four. Um, I'm not saying that they haven't reemerged. What I am saying is sometimes it takes a while to catch up to that, and maybe we do need to catch up to that a little bit more. Now, the women have been pretty consistently excellent that whole time. Now, they had a little bit of a stumble this weekend. They <clears throat> they tied and lost against Wisconsin. That was coming off a split with number one Ohio State, um, a couple big series for them over the last couple weekends. They, again, though, look like they are a national title contender, like they almost always are. And... I think with that, I think I think they're one of those teams that gets mentioned, gets some attention during the season, but but you know because of the crowded nature of this marketplace, because of the nature of everything in terms of how many things are happening at this time of year, sometimes they get a little bit diminished until we get to the tournament, and then I think the coverage does pick up. But you know, to your point, I think there are some fair points in there. I think that the hockey teams by by virtue of their success, especially like you say, relative to the basketball teams, probably do deserve a little bit more of our attention. And so I will pay attention to that a little bit more going forward. Got an email on the wild after I wrote about them late last week talking about their kind of their where they are with their scoring, where they are with their five on five scoring, especially and how that's been a struggle for them this year. Now they got a big win over the weekend, um, beat New Jersey, um, got a good goal in the third period, a little bit of a break, but you know, a, a slap shot from Matt Dumba that hit Ryan Hartman, went in, got them into into overtime where they won in a shootout, needed that one, but they, I think they deserved at least that point against New Jersey, a very good team, so they got that. But um, email from Karen said, where did all the wild goals go? I think that was the headline that I used. She said, agree that the shortest and simplest answer is that the wild second line isn't as good as it was a year ago when Fiala had 27 even strength goals. Disagree that the that the, the Parisi suitor buyouts are a big part of it. She says, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting I'm getting tired of the, using that excuse with the high caliber of NHL players and the league on the wild. It's about time someone took a look at the haphazard negative reinforcement coaching styles and personalities of Dean Evison and Bill Guerin. Constant switching and experimenting with lines. Um, Karen's a former high school coach. She said, you got to learn to trust the players around you, and that's why Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello have, have such a good chemistry, is that they have that knowledge and trust. So she's saying... 
basically that, that that don't blame this all on those buyouts. Blame this on some of what they haven't been able to develop in terms of some of that secondary scoring, which is interesting. I think there's something to that. I do think that the Wild is in the midst of maybe developing some of that. I think the Marco Rossi stall this season, where you whether you want to call it on Rossi, whether you want to call it some of that maybe on how he was handled by the aforementioned decision makers, Dean Evison and Bill Guerin, whether you want to place the blame on one or the other or a combination thereof, is kind of de- probably dependent on your viewpoint and how you want to see that shake out. But I think it's interesting that they really you know, had to change their style almost this season because of the departure of one person, Kevin Fiala. They just knew that they weren't going to have probably that same level of scoring depth that they did a year ago. And then maybe some of last year, like I wrote about, was a little bit of an outlier where some of the goals they got were uh, ah, fluky is the wrong word, but that it wasn't going to be replicable. It's kind of like the Vikings winning all those one-score games. The Wild was not going to rally all the time with the goalie pulled. They were not going to win all these 5-4 games. Their shooting percentage was going to come down like it has. Their expected goals were going to be more in line with their actual goals, which they have been, and that that was going to have an influence on how they were going to play. So I think there's some of that, but I think that does bear watching and, and just kind of how how the how the handling of players, how the juggling of lines, and every coach does that. I, that's a hockey thing. If something's not going right, try something different sometimes and then maybe reunite that line later get that chemistry back, which you've seen lately with the Hartman, Zuccarello, and a Kaprizov line. See if they can get some more scoring eventually here in that 5-on-5, which has been a problem this season. But where that falls on the spectrum of you know problems versus solutions is, I guess, probably more in the eye of the beholder than anything else. Let's get to D'Angelo Russell, Mike Conley trade. A lot of that coming to the surface over the weekend. Conley had an okay debut, but the Wolves got blown out Monday. I'm sorry, got blown out Friday. I uh, hope that was not, for, for Wolves fans' sakes, I hope that was not a harbinger of things to come in uh, in this game Monday night against Dallas. But uh, they got handled pretty easily by Memphis on Friday. A lot of new pieces getting acclimated. Um, Conley is supposed to unlock Rudy Gobert at a certain point, and maybe over the weekend getting a little bit of time to get readjusted to each other will help them kind of reset and recalibrate for the weekend. But first impressions of the trade were not the greatest because Conley did not have much of an impact. Gobert did not have much of a big game. And D'Angelo Russell had a very good game for the Lakers in his debut. They beat Golden State without LeBron James, by the way. Uh, So D'Lo had a nice impact in his debut. Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, also part of that three-way trade coming over from Utah. They had impacts as well, especially Vanderbilt. So that trade definitely made the Lakers deeper. I don't think it made the Lakers a championship team, but it definitely made the Lakers deeper. And what I, I guess what I would say is this. When I was evaluating that trade, I was careful to say that I don't think that Mike Conley Jr. is a better player right now than D'Angelo Russell. He's older. He's you know he, He's got a different style. What I did think is that, A, it's a better fit for what the Wolves are trying to do right now, especially when Carl Anthony Towns comes back. And B, I think Conley was an important salary match because he's on the books for next year. They had to preserve that salary slot in some way. And Mike Conley Jr. gave them a couple different things. One, gave them a replacement point guard. And B, let them extend that salary slot into another year if they were convinced that D'Lo wasn't their guy. D'Lo's had a lot of very nice games for the Wolves. He's had a lot of impact for the Wolves. But his inconsistency and the level that he brought 
night in and night out was just too, like I said, too inconsistent to be someone that I wanted to lock in long term. He just never really materialized into that difference maker that I think they hoped they were getting three years ago when they made that trade, traded Andrew Wiggins and a lightly protected uh, first round pick that turned into a lottery pick. And when they made that trade with Golden State and tried to pair him with Carlton Towns, he just never made enough players around him better. I know he was getting some chemistry with Anthony Edwards down the stretch here. I think that's that's important not to overlook. But I do feel like overall that trade still will work out for the Wolves. Now, I don't think it's going to blow up, but if the Lakers end up being pretty good with D'Lo and they pass the Wolves in the playoffs, things like that, I do think that that's something to watch going forward. D'Lo definitely polarizing, though. I've gotten, uh, gotten some good emails, some bad emails, some good tweets, some bad tweets, just watching it all play out. Had to block a couple of people that got pretty rude. Uh, I don't like to block. Usually I'm a, I'm a mute person on Twitter, but I had to block a couple of people who just would not be polite or at least have a rational conversation with me about the differences between putting someone on blast and putting someone on a spot where um, you thought maybe this was a good trade for a number of different reasons. So anyway, um, it's not personal. It's fine. We can have our disagreements over over Russell, the player. I think I got some good emails to that degree. Some people didn't think Tim Conley got enough value in the trade. I think he did okay. I don't think D'Angelo Russell had a ton of value, to be honest. I think moving off of that contract was just fine, especially if you weren't going to re-sign him. But I think it, you know any of these trades, you, you want to see how they play out in the future. Maybe the Wolves weren't getting enough out of Russell. I don't know. The big thing is we don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I did like enough things about this trade to think that it was a good idea. couple more things um, coming up here. Emmanuel Reynoso suspended by Major League Soccer. That was a talker last week. Lavelle Enil III and I got into that extensively last week. A couple people thanking us for that conversation because I don't think a ton of people were having those conversations around these parts, at least not on a broader scale. Uh, but Reynoso, who is not reported to uh, to Loon's camp, and we're <clears throat> you know like five weeks into camp, we're only like 12 days away from the start of the season, suspended without pay by Major League Soccer on Friday. You know, a pretty vague statement put out by the Loons on Friday, you know, reiterating that the suspension has happened, saying we have no additional information beyond that at this time. Reynoso is believed to be back in Argentina still, hasn't traveled to the Loons yet. We don't even know what his mindset is. Does he want to be transferred? Is he unhappy with something? Is something going on in his personal life back there? We don't even quite know what's going on. All we know is that he is not here and that Major League Soccer has deemed this to be a point where it's unacceptable and that he's under contract for what we believe is at least $2 million a year, and that that is a point where he's going to start being docked pay now because it is the preseason and players are getting paid. So how that plays out, still unclear, but uh, we did get a little bit more clarity, even if it muddied things a little bit, in that there was a step taken Friday to suspend him without pay, and maybe that is something that spurs action here at least at some point. Let's finish with the cooler, Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Barry Anderson, who likes to keep me in the loop on all things cord cutting, all things TV related, even though I'm also uh, keenly aware of such things. Um, <clears throat> sent me a message the other day with an interesting story about cord cutting and how in 2022 there was a 60% increase in the rate of people who are ditching cable or satellite for other options. So that's interesting to me. That kind of plays right into What's going on right now with the potential impending bankruptcy of Diamond Sports? You know, I talked to Jason Gerwin last week about you know all of those Bally Sports regional sports networks like Bally Sports North that are owned by Diamond Sports. 
how we got to this point. And you know, his basic premise was three years ago when they bought all these properties, they, they thought they were going to be worth a lot more and that cord cutting would not be as fast <clears throat> as it has proved to be. And that you know, article like the one that uh, that 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 Barry Anderson sent me from uh, from NextTV.com does show that the pace is accelerating, and that the, I don't think that's going to be reversed anytime soon. So that explains a lot of where we are with TV right now, the fragmentation, where people are going, and that they're just not going to pay as much as they used to to get the same access to the same things, and in some cases, to not have as much access to things that they used to get. That will do it for today. You'll notice I did not talk at all about Super Bowl commercials. That's because we're going to go deep on that on Tuesday. I will talk with Chris Preston, partner and chief creative officer from the Minneapolis ad agency Preston Spire, about you know what we saw Sunday, the history of Super Bowl ads, why they're so important, things like that. I'm looking forward to that conversation because I thought there were some good ones and some bad ones, but we will break that all down on Tuesday's show. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.